talk about what, what it means to go deeper. Um, so when Pastor Wayne invites me here, he says you always need to talk about outreach. Uh, so that's what I'm here to do. And uh, we're going to be focusing on what it means to reach out to our non-Christian friends in a relational way. We're actually going to end up using an example of Jesus, and it wasn't a long time. It was actually like a, a short conversation, but it demonstrated what it means to do things relationally. So if you can go to the next slide. I'm going to always turn around. It's not that I don't trust Ryan. I just have trust issues. Uh, I want to make sure it's there. Anyway, uh, Pastor Wayne introduced us. Some of you met Delilah the last time we were here, but uh, we are in our 13th year of marriage. We'll, we'll celebrate our anniversary in August. Um, we do ministry together. We taught together in China. Um, she is not officially on staff with InterVarsity, but she is my, she's my running mate. So um, she does a lot of work. She's gifted in the area of hospitality and serving others. She is a counselor in her work, and she has a heart for helping families who are in need. And so that's ministry, even though she's not technically hired by ministry. Uh, she is doing ministry. Um, so that's who we are. Uh, and if you can go to the next slide. Um, so I want to share a little bit about the campus ministry. Um, so I know Andrew uh, is an InterVarsity uh, alum and has been involved with what's called Rec Week. Uh, so in May... At the end of our school year, we have our region-wide student conference. It's called Rec Week. It's down in uh, Burnett, Texas, uh, near Marble Falls, if any of you are familiar with that territory. Um, so it's for two weeks, but it's, it's the same camp done twice because we can't fit all the students in our region there one time, and then there's graduations, and so we stagger. So staff has to be there for two weeks. Um, so this is a picture from... Uh, so we have this crazy event uh, during the camp. Camp is very serious. It's very spiritual, trust me, but we also have a lot of fun. There's a thing called all-camp fun, and uh, the guy who's responsible for bringing me on to InterVarsity staff is a guy named Josh Howell, and he's crazy. So he invents all these crazy games, and it's basically a giant relay race between all the, the campuses that are there. And the relay race includes events like sucking Skittles through a straw, uh, doing crazy things in the swimming pool. Uh, this time they, they spun somebody around, like I'm not going to do it 20 times or I'll fall down, but spin somebody around 20 times and then make them text a scripture on their phone. And then when you get through each station, you take the baton and you run to the next station where there's somebody who's waiting for you. And it culminates at the basketball court and somebody has to make a layup, a free throw, and a three-point shot. And so I've been on staff six years serving international students at the University of Houston. And this year, in week one, UH won all camp fun for the first time since I've been on staff. So this is actually, I only have one international student in there. These are uh, students from the other chapter. But I figured, hey, uh, I'm at UH. I'm getting in this picture. It's a championship photo. So I got in there. Uh, now... Pastor Wayne mentioned that I'm going to be transitioning. I'm staying with InterVarsity, but I'm going to become the Associate Area Director of Texas Gulf Coast. And that's an area that includes the University of Houston, Rice University, UH Clear Lake, Prairie View, A&M, and Texas A&M. So Delilah and I, in the coming months, will be transitioning from Houston to the College Station Bryan area. And I'll be overseeing ministry at Texas A&M. So if you could go to the next slide... And wouldn't you know it, in week two of Rec Week, Texas A&M won all camp fun. So 
I found my way into that photo too because, uh, yeah, so I got back-to-back -back championships uh, thank, uh, thanks to UH and Texas A&M. So I'm really excited about what's going to be happening at A&M uh, in the coming years. It's a th at least a three-year commitment to this role. Uh, and I'll also be over ministry in our whole area. But A&M is where I'm going to be stationed. And uh, your prayers are appreciated for our transition. Delilah needs to find work. Uh, so we, uh, we have a lot of challenges before us, but we're, we're excited and we're embracing that. So you can go to the next slide, Ryan. Great. So how many have seen this quote before? Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Has anybody seen this quote? Okay, so I think it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but you know, Mother Teresa used it a lot. And hey, the, the spirit of this quote is great, okay? And if you have this like quote on your refrigerator at home, I'm not telling you to take it off, okay? It's good, it, it's good things. Actions often speak louder than words, correct? But sometimes our words are really, really important. Um, and so we don't want, I think sometimes it's easy for Christians to use this quote as a justification for not sharing the gospel with words. Um, because let's face it, sharing the gospel sometimes is very uncomfortable because people reject us. So it's safer to like just let our actions do our talking. And again, our actions can be very powerful. So I embrace the actions. But words do matter. The gospel is God's word. And we have a responsibility to explain it to non-believers. So the other thing is, actions are often misinterpreted without words. So you can do something and somebody can assume what your intent is, but words can help clarify that. So again, this quote is not evil at all. There's a lot of good to this quote, but I want you to know how important your words are when it comes to sharing the gospel. Uh, most of all, words are important in building relationships. And relationships, building relationships is where we help people navigate, especially non-Christians, navigate on a path toward knowing Jesus. So if you can go to the next slide. So the last time I was here, um, I briefly went over what's called the five thresholds. This is something that InterVarsity, it's really a, an effective tool for seeing where people are on their path toward Jesus. Uh, so today we're going to do a lot, of bit, a lot of talking about the five thresholds. So quickly I'm going to go over those. You have trust. Uh, trust is the first step. I think this is the easiest one to get people on. Um, a lot of people are skeptical about Jesus, but you know when you're nice to somebody, you serve them, they end up trusting you. I work with international students. Uh, I pick them up at the airport. I take them shopping. Uh, I take them to the social security office. It does not take long at all for an international student who doesn't know Jesus to trust me or anybody else who's helping them. So I think trust is, is, uh, is pretty easy to gain. You love people and you serve them and, and you will gain their trust. Curiosity. So this is the, so these next two, curiosity and open, they're, they're actually connected. And curiosity is, so I can have a trust relationship with somebody, a really good one for years, and they may have zero interest in my faith. Um, I met a, a student from Vietnam like four or five years ago. I picked him up at the airport, and I was serving that kid for four years. But anytime I brought up anything spiritual, he just shut down. He wasn't interested, but he's still my friend, and he's actually at A&M now uh, doing his master's, so we'll get to 
re-enter into a relationship with our friend Lynn. Um, the other thing about uh, you know, curiosity is that people can have really good questions. And so you automatically, when you hear a question, you think they're a seeker. So I'll give you an example. I have a, an Indian student who, uh, he's no longer at UH, but in a Bible study one night, he leaned over and he, we were doing uh, John 3 and Jesus and Nicodemus and be, being born again and all that stuff. And he leans over to me and he asks me, he goes, Pete, are you born again instantly or is it like a process? And I'm thinking, that is the greatest question I've ever had from a student during a Bible study. But you know what? This guy, he's, it, the curiosity was probably more intellectual. He, uh, we've talked to Rahul. He's not ready to go there. Uh, I've asked him, what are the barriers? Well, I'm agnostic. I just don't see the whole thing for God. So you, you got to look at Rahul and say, he's not a seeker. He's curious. But when people are curious, what kind of questions can we ask them? And that's where Jesus was an expert. Um, he always, always, not always, but uh, often would answer a question with a question. So keep in mind. So what we want to see, we want to see their curiosity sparked. Because when that happens and they're open to actually being transformed, that's when they go to the next threshold. And this is the hardest, the hardest threshold to move from. Curiosity to open. Because open means you actually want to be changed. Like what you're teaching me about your faith, that I want that. I, my life is not where I want it to be. Um, so open is the hardest one on the uh, thresholds because they may be curious, but they're not interested in being transformed. Once it becomes personal, then they become open to change. And that's where relationship building helps because we get to go deeper with people. The next uh, threshold is seeking. This is obviously a big step. Keep in mind, when somebody becomes a seeker, they're going to be seeking more than one thing. So they might be seeking Jesus, but they might be seeking Buddhism. They might be seeking other answers, so keep that in mind. But when they've hit the stage of seeking, you've got them in a really fruitful position to get them to the next step, which is following. And at that point, we just celebrate. Somebody has been welcomed into the, to the family of God. Uh, so next slide. Okay, that, uh, there's, under there it says, give me a drink. So that cut off, sometimes PowerPoints do that. Give me a drink. Interesting uh, language to use in church, right? Give me a drink. So today we're going to be taking a look at uh, Jesus and the woman at the well, okay? Um, so Jesus demonstrates the art of going deep with somebody, and it's a Samaritan woman. Uh, it's an incredible encounter uh, from the book of John, John 4. Um, so before this, I'll just give you a little background. In John 3, Jesus has this memorable encounter with a man named uh, Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. And it's an incredible engagement of conversation. Uh, Jesus is talking about being born again. Jesus reveals that he who believes in the only Son of God will, will have eternal life. He's like preaching the gospel. And Nicodemus is, is unsure about all this. Then after that, Jesus and the disciples are in the Judean countryside and they're doing ministry. And the ministry is growing. And because of that, the Pharisees catch wind of that. They see, hey, this guy Jesus is like, he's doing stuff. So Jesus is like, time to move on. So I'm going to go through John 4. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to talk about it, if that's okay with you. Because if I read it, maybe everybody will just fall asleep. So, so at that point, they head for Galilee. Jesus and the disciples are heading back to Galilee. But before they go to Galilee, they're going to 
They're going to take, well, I think definitely it's a Jesus detour. Jesus is going to take them into the region of Samaria. Now, the people in Samaria are from mixed marriages, so they're, they're part Gentile and part Jews. What they are not, they are not followers of Jesus. So I believe this is definitely an intentional move. So Jesus takes them to a town called Sychar. That is the site of Jacob's well. We, we know who Jacob is, right? And he has a well there. So uh, Jesus and the guys, are they're going. They're walking. Back in the day, no cars, no Uber, no anything like that. So they're walking. It's a long journey. So Jesus is tired, right? The, the human part of Jesus is tired. Jesus is hungry. It's hot. It's, uh, it's noontime. So Jesus gets to the well, and he's tired. He sits down. The disciples are sent into town to get food. And at that point, here comes this woman from Samaria. Now, we're going to give her a name. You okay with me giving her a name? Because we want to make it personal. So we're going to call her Samantha. But we're going to call her Sam for short. Because Delilah told me I need to call her Sam. So that's what I'm going to do. Married people, you understand. When they say do something, you just do it, right? So uh, Sam has come there alone. So that indicates she's probably an outcast because the women would come together to the well to draw water and they would also come earlier in the day when it wasn't so hot. But who wants to walk out in the middle of the desert at noontime to get water? So here comes Sam. And Jesus, of course, immediately engages her and says, give me a drink. Now Sam is taken aback. First of all, she's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew. They don't get along. So she's saying, like, uh, why would you, a Jew, ask me, a woman from Samaria, for a drink? Jesus takes her bait. And he actually turns it up a notch. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you living water. Now she's probably thinking, Sam's probably saying, this guy cannot be serious. What is living water? So she turns to logic, because that's what we do, right? She's like, sir, she calls him sir. Sir, uh, you have no bucket or anything to draw the water with. This well is very deep. Where do you get this living water? And she doesn't really, uh, she doesn't stop there. She starts to actually, I like to say, she talks a little trash to Jesus. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, Jacob, he gave us this well. Jacob drank from this well. His sons drank from this well. She's basically saying, who are you in this whole living water talk? Jesus is not offended, though. He knows that Sam is in need of salvation. Jesus is such a personal God. And he has what she needs, but she just doesn't know it. So Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks the water from this well will be thirsty but whoever drinks my water will never be thirsty. And those people who drink my water, that water will bubble up inside of them and it will become eternal life. Jesus is preaching the gospel to Sam right there at this well in the middle of the day. So Sam, of course, she, she likes what she hears. I'll never be thirsty again. And she tells him like, hey, give me this water so I won't be thirsty again. And then I won't have to come back here to draw the water, right? So she's like wants it, but not for the right reason. So it's the same. It's like if somebody said, hey, I'll pay you, but you don't have to come to your job anymore, right? She's like, hey, uh, this sounds like a really good deal. But of course, 
Jesus says, it's time to go deeper, like much deeper. And they're at a well, right? We go deep. Jesus tells her, go get your husband and bring him here. This is like a dramatic shift in the conversation. We can imagine what Sam did at that time. I can imagine her dropping her head and saying, I have no husband. Now, Jesus is not trying to humiliate her. What he's trying to do is point out her brokenness and her need for restoration. So Jesus keeps on going. He says, you're right. You have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. Again, that's, it sounds really condemning, but he's naming her brokenness right there. So her brokenness has been exposed. And now she turns the focus back to Jesus. And she actually starts getting a little bit religious in her conversation. She says, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she said that our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You say Jerusalem is the place where people are supposed to worship. Jesus sticks with proclaiming the truth of the gospel. He says... The time is coming when people, they're not going to worship in any specific location. They're not going to worship on this mountain here. They're not going to worship in Jerusalem. They're going to worship the Father in spirit and truth. That's who the Father is looking for. That's who he's seeking, true worshipers. So Sam is lost now. She, she probably has no idea what Jesus is talking about. But what she says next shows that there's some hope. She says the Messiah is coming. And he, he will tell us all things. And now Jesus, it's like mic drop time. He's going to reveal himself. He says, I, who you are speaking to, am he. At that very moment. So now we've got climax, right? Here we go. He says, I'm the Messiah. It's time for like the end of this. Nope, here come the disciples back from town. It's like they have the worst timing ever, right? This, this moment, and here come the disciples. And of course, the disciples don't do anything to help. God bless them, but they come back and they're like, they see what's going on and they're wondering, hey, you know, who, why are they talking? They're not supposed to be talking. And we have food, right? So what does she do? She takes her, she actually leaves her bucket. She goes back and back to town. And we don't know uh, what she's thinking, but we do know this. She's experienced some kind of transformation. And she goes back into the town and tells the other Samaritans in Sakar, she says, come See a man who told me all I've done. Could this be the Christ? Whoa, we got some serious threshold movement going on. She's gone from like all the way down here. She's all of a sudden up here. And so we have to have this pause. We go back and the scene shifts to Jesus teaching the disciples. Uh, God bless the disciples. We love the disciples, right? But they just, they're not getting this. So they're like, uh, hey, you need to eat. You know, we've, we've been in town. And Jesus tells them, he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now you can see the disciples, imagine what they're thinking, like, who got him food? Where, where, did she have food? I thought we were supposed to bring the food. Did you get the food? You know, and like, they're, they're in this scene. And Jesus says, uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And now it's teaching time. He tells them that the fields are now ripe for harvest. There's no four-month wait. You know, you... you you sow, and then you wait four months for, for the harvest. Um, he's using agricultural terms with these guys, but he's not talking about planting like plants and crops. He's talking about souls. 
And so Sam's soul, the souls of those Samaritans who are coming back, they're, she went to get them, they're coming back, and he's telling them, hey, the fields are ripe, it's harvest time. And sure enough, the word says, many Samaritans from the town of Sakar believe in Jesus because of Sam's testimony. She simply said, come and see a man who tell me all that, told me all that I did. Could this be the Christ? Because of that word from this woman, she, they all believe. So here come the Samaritans. They don't even like the Jews, but they see Jesus and they're like, hey, come hang out with us. Will you stay with us? He stays for two days. And many more, it says in the word, believe because of what Jesus told them. And they actually tell Sam, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This whole thing started with, give me a drink. And ended up with a whole town coming to know Christ. It's an amazing story. So, next slide. So we talked about the value of words. Um, and just when you see some of the engagement that I was going over, it's just remarkable. Uh, you know, just give me a drink. Give me a drink. That's all he said to her. Give me a drink. And it goes into all kinds of things, back and forth. Um, and it ends with, you know, him declaring himself as the Messiah and her going back. And, and like, she was beyond curious. Now she was like, she really had something there. So Jesus was an expert at engaging people with words. So when we say words matter, Jesus is a great example. Some examples in the Gospels. In Mark 1, he tells Simon and his brother Andrew, while they were casting a net, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, you hear that, they're, they're probably like, what is that? But whoa, so powerful. John 5, he asks an invalid at the pool, do you want to get well? Straight up, do you want to get well? And we know what the guy, the guy didn't even say yeah. He gave an excuse for why he couldn't get well. Matthew 5, Jesus tells the disciples, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's like, man, what does that even mean? But so powerful. So next slide. So in this, this discussion at the well, Jesus took Sam through all the thresholds, Okay. This will not happen for us. If it does, you need to tell somebody about it, okay? Jesus is better at this than we are, okay? So we, 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 we're supposed to be like Jesus, but we ain't taking nobody through the five thresholds at the well, okay? The, the point of the thresholds is to build relationships with your non-Christian friends, to see where they are, because it's a process. The best example is Jesus and his disciples. He was, he was with them for three years. And we love the disciples, but we know at times they were knuckleheads, right? Just like we're knuckleheads. We don't get it. We see Jesus do something amazing in our lives, and the next day we're doubting about his faithfulness to us. And that's what they were doing. And we, have, we actually have more history to go on. These guys were walking in the moment with Jesus. Jesus cultivated relationships with the disciples. He loved them. He taught them. He disciplined them. He showed them the way. They didn't listen at times. He said, I'm going to be crucified. And then in three days, I'm raised to life. And then they're like, they're just right, right over their heads. They, they couldn't see that. They could only see that this is our guy. He's with us. He's, he's leading us to the, the greatest victory ever. But they had no idea what it was going to look like. But the disciples, 
Jesus took care of them relationally. And look what happens after Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and ascends to be with the Father. The disciples, like the word said, they went out and did greater things than Jesus did. And so he was preparing them for life without him on this earth. Beautiful form of relationship. Um, so uh, I want you to remember is that when we invest in, in, into our Christ, non-Christian friends, we need to go deep. It's easy to sit here and talk about the, the latest Avengers movie. Nothing wrong with that. Good small talk. Talk about the demise of the rockets. Um, we can talk about all kinds of things that are safe. And sometimes that's what we only talk about because it's safe. But when we go deeper, like Jesus saying, go get your husband and bring him here. What he was doing was he was taking Sam to a place of brokenness. So when we're talking to people, we need to share our stories. And when we share our stories, uh, include the mess. Include the mess in your stories because restoration stories are more powerful than small talk, even though they hurt to tell. And get people to tell their story to you. Okay? Uh, so uh, next, off, next slide, please. Okay, I got a resource for you. I wish I had a box of them for you to give out. Um, this is an InterVarsity Press book called Breaking the Huddle. One of the authors is Doug Schaup, who is the National Director of Evangelism for InterVarsity. This book focuses on uh, what, what it looks like for communities to not be huddled up, but to go out and like really be witnessing to their non-Christian friends and becoming a witnessing community. Um, could you go to the next slide? Uh, so in the book... Um, he talks about three communities. Now, as a church, and I've talked to Pastor Wayne about this, this is what the church should be looking at this model. Okay? So there's three up there, and there's a huddled uh, community, which is, that's not what we strive to be. We don't want to be a huddled community. That's limited witness. Witness is only a concept. There's a, a non-Christian presence is rare. Um, then there's a witnessing community, which is better. Okay? There's more growth. They're engaged in witness. Witness is a value. There are some non-Christians involved in the community, um, but there are multiple conversions annually. Um, the next one is the conversion uh, community, and this is gold. This is where we want to be. Uh, this means that you are aligned around witness. Witness shapes everything. Multiple conversions all the time, and non-Christians all over the place coming into your, into your community. That's what we want to be. I know that uh, I encourage Pastor Wayne when we chatted before the service, like, because we're going to do a little application on this, but I'm asking him to like really press into that. Like, make this community, because uh, like, raise your hand if you have non-Christian friends or family members. Just raise your hand. Yeah, like everybody, everybody. I have a brother who's not saved, and I'll be honest with you, I do a lousy job. And like, I'm standing up here talking to you, so you probably think I'm like this super, super witness guy. And I struggle with my brother. He's hard-hearted. It's safe to talk sports. It's not safe to talk about Jesus. And that is an ongoing struggle with me. And you know what? We're all broken. We're all trying to grow in that. But we want your church. We want you to be bringing your non-Christian friends to your church. We want you to be uh, having coffee with your non-Christian friends, having meals with your non-Christian friends, and thinking about where they are at on the five thresholds. Because you actually have a chance to walk them through that. So um, what I'm going to do now is some application.
So I have some cards. These are called, this is an InterVarsity resource. I'm gonna pass them out. Delilah's passing them out over there. Um, it's got two sides. One side is gonna have the five thresholds on it. And then the other side is, has a little, it's an activity for you to help identify the non-Christians in your life that you can be praying for. So when everybody gets one of these, just when you have one, just raise your hand so I can, we'll, we'll yeah, back there, you're getting some. And I didn't bring any pens because I'm not very organized. Um, but we're going to like, we're going to actually look at this right now and we're going to talk about doing it right now. So, so on the side, not the five threshold side, this is a great resource for you to take home and really read. But right now, what I want you to do, so on the one side, it's where all the circles are. Does everybody see that, where the circles are? So this is a, a prayer map. So we all have non-Christian friends and family members. So what you do is you put your name in the middle, and then you find, write down six non-Christian friends in those outer circles. I mean, that's something, I'm going to give you a couple minutes now. It's also something you can think about, but please uh, give me your word that you'll go home and, and give this a try. Um, writing down six names of friends or family members, and then as Jesus was, was talking about in John 4, it says here, your fields are ripe for harvest. If you have a lot of non-Christian friends, your, your fields, they're ready. They're ready for harvest, right? And so it says here, who are two non-Christian friends or family members who you want to focus your prayer and energy on? I realize six is maybe a little stretching. So two of those six is, is the names you want to put in the rectangular boxes in the second panel of this. And then the next thing is on the thresholds, uh, and again, the other side has the thresholds with an explanation. This is where you discern where are people at on the threshold. It's important to know where somebody is. Uh, so are they in the trust level, the curious level, open, seeking, or following? And then it's asking for write down one next step that you want to take this week. So maybe it's uh, my friend Dave, who I work with, um, we're going to have coffee. And we're going to have a conversation. And it's not going to be just about a movies and basketball. We're going to, we're going to, you're going to share something with your friend this week. Um, actually, I have a, a, a new believer from our international community. Uh, he decided to follow Jesus in December. He's from Sri Lanka. Um, and he's very, very infant in this, okay? He's, he comes from a Buddhist background. But uh, last month, we had lunch, and I realized I never shared my testimony with him about how I became a believer and it was like, he, he calls me Mr. Pete. He goes, wow, Mr. Pete, I had no idea you did some of those things. <laughs> like, they only, he only knows me as the guy who comes and leads Bible study and ministers to students. He didn't see my brokenness before that. It affected him. When I told him my story, I could see it actually it moved him along even a little farther on the thresholds. So take a step. And then on the fourth panel there, it's got commitment. Um, because I want to see my friends, or you could put family member, brother, sister, name them, uh, grow toward new faith. I commit myself to prayer, partnership, and practical steps to help them grow toward Jesus. I commit to pray X amount of times a week, starting when. I commit to accountability with my prayer partner. So you want a prayer partner. Husband and wives, it's an excellent way to do it. Coworker, somebody in this church. This is something you can do as a community. 
to grow the kingdom of God together. You want this church not just to grow with people in your seats. You want it to grow with people who are witnessing and sharing Christ on a regular basis. Amen? Yeah, so um, I have time for one more, one more quick story before we close. Uh, could you go to the next slide? Okay, next one. Yeah, we just did that. There you go. Okay, so this is a much younger looking Pete Aldridge. Um, this was in 2012. Uh, Delilah and I spent 2009 to 2012 teaching university students in China, uh, teaching them oral English, culture classes, <clears throat> and just basically we had a harvest field to uh, share our stories. Things have changed in China since we've left. Um, it's, it's much more difficult now for people to go in and openly share the gospel. But this is my friend Scott. Um, he's our son. Um, and I, I'm sad because we haven't been able to maintain our relationship as well as we had liked. In the first couple of years after we left, we were talking regularly. He works in Africa now. He's in Ethiopia. Um, so anyway, uh, Scott was in my oral English class that I taught my first year in 2009. Uh, he was a sophomore student. And he comes up to me after a class, and he starts talking like stuff that's deep, which is kind of not like really culturally what you would, it, usually they're asking you questions like, can you use chopsticks or, you know, you know, how long have you been in China and all things like that. He comes up to me after a class and he's asking me, hey, I volunteered at an, at an orphanage one weekend, and I don't know, I feel like I need to have more purpose in my life. And I'm thinking, okay, I didn't know nothing about the five thresholds at that time. But if I look back at it, um, he's, he's definitely curious. Um, I wouldn't say he's seeking yet, but he's, he's, he's curious and there's an openness to change. He's telling me. He's not a Christian. He's no faith. Just didn't believe in anything. So we enter into a relationship with him. He's in our house, our apartment all the time. We're always going places together. He and a, a, another a female student became like our, our son and our daughter. And so through the years, like, we're kind of moving along, the, trying to move along the thresholds, doing a little Bible study with him, and, eh, you know, kind of like stuck in that open, open to change, but sort of just hitting that spot. But in our last year, um, Scott went through some, uh, some difficult sin issues, um, and was, and was made aware of them and knew, knew what he, how his sin had hurt somebody else badly um, and how his sin had really affected the way he thought about things. And he basically came to me in a broken state knowing he said, I feel, I feel like a piece of trash. And at that point, we got to where, okay, you, you, are, you need restoration and there's a place for you to be restored. And really, before that, he had been seeking a lot of other things. He was, he was a guy, I told him, you're always looking under a rock for the answer. And that he, when I said people just don't automatically seek Jesus, Scott was turning over every rock looking for that answer that made his life better. And he wasn't finding it. When he came to me in this broken state, I said, do you understand now you only have one option if you want to get fixed? And... He was right on, I remember we were sitting on our couch in our apartment, he was right, he was on the cusp, and I don't know why, but I, I felt like of the Holy Spirit telling me, I don't want you to make a commitment to following Jesus to get you out of the jam that you're in now because of your sin. I said, I want you to do it because you really want to follow Jesus. 
So I actually told him, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and like walk you through this prayer because I'm not sure it's genuine. And so he left my apartment without making any kind of commitment. And I was thinking, okay, I'll see him in the next day or two. I don't see him for like a week and a half. And I was thinking, maybe I heard the wrong thing from the spirit, right? But nope, week and a half or so, he comes back and he tells me and Delilah, he's, he's like, I want to take you guys out to dinner because uh, I, I want to, I, I have a surprise for it. I go, you can't say that. You, you're telling us now. And, and he says, okay, I want, I want to follow Jesus. So he finally got to the end of the threshold. And I don't know where Scott is right now in his spiritual life, but the relational, we had three years with Scott. And I don't know if it's coincidence, Jesus had three years with the disciples, we had three years with Scott, and we got to see fruit. And I'm praying that, like, you know, he's still seeking after Jesus. Uh, he's got a great heart. Um, but I wanted to share that story. And so, again, my encouragement is find your non-Christian friends, your non-Christian family members, and let them know who Jesus is, and don't be afraid to go deep with them. Go deep. The deeper we go, the more fruit that it will produce.